millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, being the closet liberal on the show, Jim, of course I'm going to say this. We're talking about fairness today. Most of us, I think, believe that fairness really matters, that when possible, Everyone should be treated the same or, or at least have a fair shot at a life of, of love and meaning and, and success. Right. We all need that. In fact, there's research that even primates show these emotions in studies with monkeys. If they think another monkey is getting some treat that they don't feel is deserved, they really go nuts. So it's very much a human trait, of course. And we see that sense of feeling like you've been mistreated or not treated fairly or equally in everything from the Occupy Wall Street protest to Black Lives Matter to the recent truckers protests in Canada. Fairness is also at the heart of what we're going to talk about, gerrymandering. We find out more with Sam Wong. And so, yeah, the sense of fairness is super important. And I, I would say that I see that as a fundamental principle of our democracy. And these fundamental principles that I think are so obvious, I think are a little bit hard to keep sight of because... Um, a lot of the ways in which we talk about democracy have started to break down a bit. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? It shouldn't come as a surprise that a poll this month found that two-thirds of Americans agree drawing congressional districts to favor one party over another is a major problem. And the practice is known as gerrymandering. But that same poll found that while most of us say we're concerned about gerrymandering, we don't really know much about how districts are drawn in our own states. The drawing of political representation in Maryland, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, those all include some really strange looking districts. You know, they might take uh, an area where there's a concentration of Democratic voters, but then attach a, a a rural county that brings in a majority Republican voters or, or, or vice versa. Anything to take a district that might be a toss up and make it a reliable place for a member of whichever party is drawing up the, the districts. These strangely drawn maps done by both parties might be amusing if it didn't harm our confidence in democracy or or affect the behavior of legislators and House members in Washington. We're going to hear more about this from data scientist and neuroscience professor Sam Wong, who created the Princeton Gerrymandering Project. 
His team runs a website that permits voters to use mathematical models to see if where they live is an unfairly skewed legislative or congressional district. Sam Wong joins us from Princeton, New Jersey. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Many people don't understand why partisan gerrymandering has a corrosive effect on our democracy. So make the case first for why gerrymandering matters. Well, fundamentally, the issue with gerrymandering is that in our country, we elect representatives through districts where a person is meant to represent a group of people who live relatively close to one another. Somebody chooses who's in the districts. And the problem with partisan gerrymandering is that it is possible to game the system by choosing where those boundaries are. So you can decree in advance who's going to be a winner and a loser. You can um, end up building an advantage for an entire political party. And it has nothing to do with how the voters feel and everything to do with who's holding the pen. And so the fundamental problem is that legislators are picking their voters and it's an obscure technical process, but it has an enormous impact on how we are represented. And that drawing of lines is going on right now, isn't it, Sam? It is. It's done in most states. We're kind of getting towards the end of the process, but there's about a dozen states left that haven't drawn lines yet. Uh, there's also county legislatures and other uh, lower chambers like uh, you know, at that level that are being drawn uh, in the coming year. So, um, so we're getting towards the end of the process, but the playing field for the next decade has been uh, worked on by men and women around the country for the last few months. And they are now continuing their work now as we record this. If you get all your news from the New York Times or MSNBC, you might think that gerrymandering is something that evil Republicans do. If you're listening to Fox News, you might just hear about cases where Democrats have managed to draw districts that give them certain advantages. The truth is actually pretty nuanced across the country, isn't it? Yeah, I would put it a little bit differently for those. I recognize that it's like so many things in our politics has gotten sucked into partisan warfare. Anytime one group has power to draw lines and doesn't have the check of being checked by the other party or by courts or by uniform standards, people are people and they'll do it. When one party is in charge, they will do what they can to benefit their own party and follow their own, own priorities. And whether that's Democrats in Illinois or New York or whether it's uh, Republicans in North Carolina or Ohio, um, I would say legislators are human and they have access to great data, really reliable voter behavior these days in our age of polarization. And it is natural to use power unchecked when provided that power. You mentioned data. How can data science help improve democracy and increase our understanding of how it works on, on the most fundamental level? Oh, this is a great question. Da uh, data is uh, double-edged. Um, data can be used for good. It can be used to amplify whatever it is that we want. So it could be that um, decades ago, redistricting was done by basically taking a map and people standing around. I, I kind of imagine them with suspenders and itty-bitty short cigars. A, a smoke-filled room. A literal smoke-filled room. These days, data can amplify all our efforts. So uh, voters are very reliable in their habits, more so than they've been in decades. And so that's polarization. We have election data that's available freely through sources like Dave's redistricting app and through uh, my group at Princeton, the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, the redistricting data hub. There's public sources of data. And up until recently, this data 
and the software for drawing lines has been private and proprietary. And in the last decade, there's been um, an explosion of free data and open software. And there's a cluster of election nerds who have been busily putting together the data and the software. And this decade, more than any decade in the past, it's possible for regular citizens who, you know, with technical predilections, regular citizens can get involved and diagnose a plan the moment it comes out. We do that at Princeton. And we have a scoring report card that we use to, to grade uh, plans. The public can give feedback to a draft plan in real time. Um, and it's possible for for whistleblowers and watchdogs and uh, and reformers to see what's happening very soon after. And so it's, it, it, all that is to cast sunshine on the process. And sunshine um, can hopefully make the process work a little bit better. Can you tell us a little bit about the Princeton Gerrymandering Project and maybe an example of where this data has come in handy in helping people push back? Sure. It's all available at gerrymander.princeton.edu. And if you go to gerrymander.princeton.edu, you'll be confronted with all sorts of things, uh, legal resources, um, the process in all 50 states, um, and a thing that we're calling the um, redistricting report card. And this is something that we developed with advice from uh, some civic-minded people, an organization called Represent Us. And working with them, we thought of a way to make all the mathematical analytics that we do freely available. One of the many examples of your work was in Virginia, where redistricting was attempted by a commission made up of members of both parties as well as citizens. And you evaluated a bunch of their draft maps to see if they were fair. The commission actually struggled to come up with an agreement and resolve its disputes. But the end result of this long process appears to be satisfactory, right? What happened in Virginia was that they actually couldn't come together and it ended up going to the state Supreme Court. They appointed special masters and we evaluated those maps when they came out. And we were delighted to find out that those maps did a really good job of honoring the parties, respecting uh, racial groups, uh, avoiding inequities of representation that can happen either by accident or on purpose. Uh, And in the end, those plans ended up... uh, looking pretty good. Uh, we've done the same thing in, in, uh, in Michigan. And in Michigan, it's been a, a somewhat smoother process. No processes without bumps. But in Michigan, it's, again, gone pretty well. And again, uh, the Princeton Gerrymandering Project was able to evaluate those maps along the way. I'm glad you mentioned Michigan. We spoke with Katie Fahey of a group called Voters Not Politicians a couple of years ago on our podcast. Uh, Voters Not Politicians was a grassroots led state initiative to make sure an independent commission decided the shape of electoral districts and not partisan politicians. How's it going in Michigan? Katie Fahey, Nancy Wong, and thousands of volunteers in Michigan made sure that a ballot initiative got passed that would establish a citizen's process for redistricting. That process was kind of amazing because people could sign up for it. And uh, and then from the people who signed up, uh, the commissioners were chosen by lottery so that's kind of incredible. Uh, so they had uh, able assistance from attorneys, from map makers, and so on. And they ended up coming up with a, a bunch of candidate maps. And those maps appear to do reasonably well at uh, representing all the communities of Michigan. 
I'm not a Michigander, so I have to be careful not to speak for people of Michigan. Uh, but I believe that there's been a lot of public attention and there's been a lot of public engagement with redistricting. And that is new. That is that is something that has not happened in the past in Michigan. I'm really curious just to hear about your background and how you became so passionate about this. Here you are, a professor at Princeton, a neuroscientist. I'm sure you've got a lot in your plate. And yet you're devoting a lot of time to what you call the the science of democracy. Uh, what got you into it? Yes, as stated, I am a professor of neuroscience, which is a little peculiar. I would say more broadly, I'm a data scientist. So despite the fact that as we sit here recording this, my my lab is just down in the hall, and you know, and we and we study the brain down there. Long ago, my background is in physics, and so I'm used to trying to take complex phenomena and trying to figure out whether we can express those with a few numbers, with a simple theory that. That, that doesn't lose the detail, but just captures important things. And so um, I came into this back in 2012 when I successfully predicted um, that Democrats would win more votes for Congress than Republicans, and they did win 1.3 million more votes. I incorrectly suggested that Democrats would end up with control of the House of Representatives, and that ended up not happening. It turned out that Republicans after the 2012 election um, had control of the House. And I asked, well, why is that? And I discovered that partisan gerrymandering in 2012, it was worse than it had ever been in the age of modern voting rights. And because of that, there was a, a basically an ill-gotten gain of several dozen seats, uh, a few on the Democratic side, but more on the Republican side. And, that, and those gains made a big difference in the likelihood of who would end up controlling the House of Representatives. I was astounded that redistricting could have such power over our votes. And so I said, I wanted to work on that. And so I first worked on establishing mathematical standards. Uh, I wrote a brief for the US Supreme Court, uh, which was quoted, although they decided to not step in. It was a little backhanded compliment. They said, we have no quarrel with the plaintiff's math. <laughs> and so they like the math fine. So yay for math. Uh, but then they, uh, over the fullness of a few cases, they eventually said, the math is okay. Gerrymandering's bad might even be unconstitutional, and we're not going to get involved. And the nerd in me says, what? It's unconstitutional and the math is okay, but you're just not going to get involved. Okay, well, thank you so much. And so consequently, at that point, my thought was, well, we have to do this at the state level. Nonpartisans, partisans, reformers, whoever wants good government, people have to work at the state level. And so I formed a team of people to work at the state level, dealing with data, working on policy, doing analytics, I, I would say, I realized that we all had to embrace our inner federalist and come up with ways to address problems in democracy state by state. It's not a partisan thing. It's a question of making sure that everyone gets fair representation. Is that part of what drew you to this? Yes. To draw upon my cognitive science background, all kinds of animals have a sense of fairness. If you put two monkeys in front of a bar and they have to pull together to get a reward, and then only one of them gets the reward. The other monkey gets really mad. Okay, monkeys really don't like it when other monkeys get all the rewards. And so this sense of fairness is really hardwired into us. We, are, we, we have a strong sense of fairness. I mean, I have two dogs, and I can tell you that if I feed one dog and the other dog doesn't get fed, that dog gives me the saddest, saddest look. And, and I've done that like just not on purpose, it's just happened. And so yeah, the sense of fairness is super important. I see that as a fundamental principle of our democracy. And these fundamental principles that I think are so obvious, 
I think are a little bit hard to keep sight of because um, a lot of the ways in which we talk about democracy have started to break down a bit. And it's harder and harder to see that your opponents have the right to govern if they get more votes. And that's just that statement by itself has become oddly controversial. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Richard, who are we and what are we doing here? Well, this is How Do We Fix It? We're Solutions Journalists. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And as the name of our podcast implies, we're looking for answers. And we'll be right back with Sam Wong. Let's talk a little bit about this breakdown in, in our national politics and in our society. Part of it could be argued comes from the fact that because of many decades of gerrymandering, most people live in districts where there's really no mystery about who's going to get elected. And so there's a feeling that maybe my vote doesn't count very much because I live in a place that only elects Republicans or only elects Democrats. And, you know, we see this in in presidential elections. So just a handful of states really become the pivotal uh, battlegrounds. How does that affect the national attitude towards towards politics and partisanship? Even before gerrymandering, there is a phenomenon that's really afflicted our politics for the last 50 years or so, which is the geographic sorting of people into rural and urban areas of people to choose to live or who end up living near people of similar political outlook. And that natural sorting that's happened, uh, that's a fundamental starting material for polarization. Add that to the fact that creative line drawing gets rid of what competition there is left. Or add it to, as you said, the electoral college, where if you live in a state, all of your state's electors go to the majority winner, even if it's not your vote. Just that feeling of votes not mattering uh, has been demonstrated to reduce turnout. Um, It's demonstrated to turn attention towards the primary rather than the general election. And what it does is um, create a situation where the routes by which our votes get counted are ever more limited. That's just a very bad place for democracy to end up, is to have that feeling that your vote doesn't count. I think that if you're a lover of democracy, you should want people's votes to count in as many ways as possible. And in some ways, by concentrating voters of particular party in particular districts, it also frees the parties from having to appeal across the aisle 
if they're not in one of these purple states. So it kind of gives the parties an incentive to veer more towards the extremes of their, their more radical wings, doesn't it? It certainly makes it easier. I'll give you an example. To change the subject just a little bit from gerrymandering, there's a new kind of voting reform going around the country. Uh, there's different flavors of it. One's called Final Four. Another one's called Final Five. Uh, another one is Ranked Choice Voting. Um, they, they actually all involve some form of Ranked Choice Voting. There's even Approval Voting. Anyway, there are all these names. Um, in each case, there are rules reforms that make it possible for as many voters as possible to weigh in. And so to your point, uh, in the Alaska Senate race that's coming up this year, Senator Lisa Murkowski would normally have to face other Republican candidates in a primary and then only after winning that go to the general election. And in a situation like that, um, she would first have to please members of her own party, which by definition are not representative of all Alaskans. The new rule allows everyone to vote to rank their choices. If they like Murkowski first, if they like another Republican first, they can choose her, that Republican, they choose her second. And by giving rankings, every Alaskan who votes has a say about all the candidates, whether Democratic, Republican, Independent, or minor party. And so in a situation like that, then it becomes possible for everyone to weigh in, that it becomes possible to have more people engaged in the process, more people have a say, and maybe even in districts that would otherwise be considered gerrymandered, it's possible for the minority party to have a say in what happens in the general election. Sam, I'm glad you mentioned ranked choice voting, because if you want to learn more about it, we have a, a recent episode uh, recorded late last year with Rob Ritchie of fairvote.org, who goes through the whole case for ranked choice voting. Our national politics are deeply split between left and right, but governors sometimes are an exception to this and are not nearly as partisan as members of Congress. And it seems to me that one thing that's different about governors is that governors must deal with local issues. And so unlike national figures, they deal with local energy issues or environmental issues. They have to deal with the people within a state. And therefore, they're in a better position to escape this national axis of left versus right that, that we get trapped in when we deal with federal issues. So that's a little bit of encouragement there. What about electoral maps? Are they being successfully reformed? Are you, are you hopeful? I have to say, I'm accused often of being uh, excessively optimistic, but I think I see green shoots. There's a wave of reform energy at the state level. Over the last decade, we've seen uh, half a dozen or more states uh, enact different kinds of reforms for redistricting. It turns out that despite all the difficulties with voting rights, I had, hesitate because I know people who will yell at me for this, but the individual right to vote is actually looking way better than it looked 50 years ago, that's for sure. And so I think that there's a lot of popular energy for reform. We still have a lot of our democracy, and it's a fraught time. But my general view is that demographically, if we can build on what we have, work really hard over the next decade, I think that there are going to be some better days ahead. The difficulty is it requires everyone to get engaged. It requires people to, um, ordinary people to do much more than the ordinary amount. I, I'm very positive about democracy. It's just that it's not going to fix itself. And, uh, and we need to be engaged the way that, I don't know, when Tocqueville visited the United States, he just, it blew his mind that people were so engaged in civic life. And, and we need to recapture that 
look, it's hard. But nonetheless, I think there is room for optimism. Thank you, Sam Wong. Thank you for having me. It's time for our recommendation. And Richard, I know you like to keep up with whatever is current in literature. You have a hot novel for us. <laughs> yes, it was written in 1605, Don Quixote, which uh, has often been called the first modern novel. And even though it's, it's a great book, it isn't nearly as highfalutin as it might seem. Uh, much of it is indeed a joyful romp and not difficult to read, at least in the English translation. It also has lessons for our current times and is a plea for reason and common sense. The hero is ludicrous, some might say insane. He tilts at windmills in his belief in legends and the myths of the past is a romantic, someone who romanticizes the past and his crazy belief in the, in the wondrous doings of ancient knights is really akin to the mythologies and the enchanters of our current age. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a wonderful show with Roosevelt Montas, who was talking about how much young people can get from learning the literature of philosophy and culture from from the past. And so I'm really happy to see, Richard, you're, you're finding meaning for our current dilemmas in a book that's more than 500 years old. Sam Huang, a perfect guest, because right now we live in a time of peril, and anything we can do to improve the workings of our democracy is, is worth trying. Uh, it, it's neither contrarian nor original to say so, but a major political party, the Republicans, are currently dominated by a faction of populists who believe in power rather than democracy, and strengthening the guardrails of our democratic institutions is, is very important, especially at this, at this current moment. What I really like about this Princeton gerrymandering project is it actually gets beyond the kind of moralizing take that, you know, our side is good and the other side is is really scary and bad and we have to protect against them, which I think I heard a little bit of in, in your opening, a, a slight step away from your usual <laughs> admirable even-handedness on this issue. But what the Princeton gerrymandering project does is they look for objective data. So you can compare objectively what's going on when these groups draw up electoral maps. I mean, I just looked up um, my area, New York State, and it gets an F on the Princeton Project's website for the, the most recent round of redrawing of, of election districts. So I think this is important because it's this polarization that our whole show is devoted to fighting. It completely comes into play when it comes to gerrymandering. The fact is both sides will work for their advantage and you need objective standards to decide you know, how far is too far. You can't just wink at it when your side does it and then act like it's a crime against the constitution when the other side does it. I, I totally agree with the second half of what you, what you're saying that both sides do it and and that this is a real threat. I guess why I'm getting all worked up and, and upset is because 
some of the people I admire the most right now are Republicans who are very much in favor of protecting our democracy. It's just that a lot of the threat currently, and this is not true in some other countries where the biggest threat comes from the left, a lot of the threat to democratic institutions is coming from people who really value power over fair play. I, I agree with you. That's why I'm focusing on the the objectivity. I'm not buying that one party has monopoly on fair play. I'm not either. I'm not buying that one party has a monopoly on fair play. I just feel that currently there is a, there is a threat from people who are seeing the events of January 6th as a legitimate political discourse as opposed to what it was, which was a riot, an attack on the U.S. Capitol. And that may not sound even-handed, but it's still something that uh, all of us should be concerned about. Well, no question there's some horrible, ridiculous, bad people in the Republican Party right now, and their voices are way too loud. The way to disempower them is not to cut all the other Republicans off at the knees. Absolutely. We found a way to be on the same page. As we always strive to do, Richard, this is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. I should add, even when one of us is terribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd hate that when that happens, but I try to rise above it. (laughs) Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and we're a production of Davies Content. We make... uh, podcast for companies and nonprofits at daviescontent.com and thank you for listening this podcast is part of the democracy group a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.